Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with Nicole Scugan, Market Manager for Heavy Duty Sacks, including pet food packaging, in Nova Chemicals polyethylene business. Hi, Nicole, and welcome. Hi, good morning. In case you don't already know Nicole, here's a little bit about her. She's currently responsible for developing and executing on market strategy and driving sustainability at Nova Chemicals. Previously, Nicole spent three years as a price analyst and price manager for Nova Chemicals and four years at Chevron Phillips Chemicals in analyst and engineering roles. Nicole serves as the Nova Chemicals representative for the Pet Sustainability Coalition and as a member of Nova Chemicals United Way Committee. She graduated with distinction from the University of Oklahoma in 2012 with a Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering. Nicole lives in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area with her husband, John, baby Henry, and two sugar gliders, Ariel and Amy, and enjoys reading and watching movies in her free time. Nova Chemicals, based in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, develops and manufactures chemicals and plastic resins that make everyday life healthier, easier, and safer. They enable customer success with a portfolio of more than 125 virgin polyethylene resins, a growing portfolio of PEPCR, and best-in-class technical and applications development support. Now, Nicole will be speaking on understanding shifting consumer perceptions and their impact on sustainable pet food packaging innovation. That is quite a mouthful, I know. As part of the sustainability panel at Pet Food Forum 2022 being held at the beginning of May, which is why I've brought her on today to discuss this question. What kinds of solutions are out there for sustainable packaging? So, Nicole, I know we have a lot to cover. This is a pretty big topic. Where do you believe all the current pressure points between consumer expectations of their sustainable packaging options and the reality? So one of the big things we really see with consumers is there's a big difference between their perception of sustainable packaging and actual sustainable packaging. They don't always seem to understand what the best options are. So when we did our consumer perception survey, we found that when we initially asked the question, do the benefits of plastics outweigh the risks? Only about 37% of people said yes. There were about 28% who were undecided and 35% that said that they flat out disagreed with that statement. But after we presented them with some information, you know, all from credible sources, the number of people who said yes actually flipped to 64%. And even more importantly, the number of people who disagreed with the statement actually dropped to 11%. And I mean, this is a pretty significant swing, right? And it, it really shows that consumers simply don't have the information or the time to research what really is sustainable. We know that consumers want to recycle and they want to do what's right, but they just don't know what that is. How do you think as an industry, we can do something about that. So consumer education is such a huge thing and it's a constant discussion in the pet food industry from a million different angles. And I expect that it's a conversation in a lot of different industries, if not every industry, that obviously consumers need this information to be able to make informed decisions. Sustainability is absolutely huge right now. If you ask 20 different people what sustainability means to them, you'll probably get 20 different answers. What role can various people in the industry play 
in getting that education out there, especially once you factor in the trust situation? It's a huge question, right? And it's a question, like you said, the whole industry has to ask. This is not a pet food industry specific problem. And like you said, there is a lot of confusion around what's recyclable. We actually did a focus group a couple of years back and found um, when we asked about plastic packaging in particular, we asked about the label that I think a lot of people are used to seeing, which is the chasing arrows that has the number code in it. And most people, when asked about that label, actually thought those numbers were associated with the degree of difficulty to recycle. They didn't recognize that it's just a code for the type of plastic. And those codes are typically only found on rigid plastics. They're not even found on flexible packaging most of the time. So this issue with labeling being unclear, vague, or in most cases, non-existent, it really creates kind of a problem, right? It, It leads consumers to kind of feeling like they don't know what to do. And you see the same thing with store drop-off, right? We know that in most cases, or pretty much in all cases in North America, curbside recycling doesn't take flexible plastic packaging. And a lot of people are asking, what can actually go in that store drop-off, right? Never mind that I have to collect it all at my house and, and take it. What can I actually put in it? I mean, even people within the industry, you start talking to them and there's a lot of confusion around what can actually go in that store drop-off. So a big part of this education piece is really educating both the industry and the consumer on what can be recycled and how to recycle it and finding a way to label things better so that consumers don't have to go do that research, right? They don't have to spend hours and hours on the internet trying to figure out, is this real? Is that real? Who do I trust? Who do I believe? they can have clear and consistent messaging on their packaging that actually tells them here's exactly how to do it. So you've got programs. There's um, some great programs in North America, like the How to Recycle program that are trying to work on this. Over in Europe, there's also several programs over there, but specifically with How to Recycle, you know, they're trying to do kind of a third-party evaluation of the packaging and then provide that clear, consistent labeling. I agree that that is a significant roadblock. And People are a little more aware now that not all things can be equally recycled, which is certainly different from the more baseline message that I got as a kid, the hardcore reduce, reuse, recycle stuff with no talk of the nuance of it, really, because they were just trying to get the messaging out there. And the messaging is a lot more nuanced now. And I think there is a greater awareness that certain types of plastic can or can't be, even if they don't understand the codes. The problem is they don't necessarily know which ones can go to your curbside recycling, which might have to be gathered and taken somewhere else, or even where to find those drop-off points. If they don't know the Google keywords or the names of any of the programs, people might not even know where to go. So there really is still quite a bit of a ways to go in terms of consumer education and even just consumer awareness that it's even a thing. What are the top options talked about when it comes to recyclable packaging. Let's break that down a little bit more. So the trick we run into when we talk specifically about pet food packaging is that there really aren't a lot of recyclable options today. You know, most pet food and treats are found in flexible packaging, whether that's paper or plastic. But when it comes to flexible packaging, really the only way to make them recyclable is to make them monomaterial. So when you're looking at paper packaging, this just means that it's a multi-wall paper, right? It's several layers of paper. 
it can't have any sort of coatings or anything like that in it. And when we talk about plastic flexible packaging, if it's monomaterial, it has to use the same type of resin. So you would typically see like an all polyethylene or an all polypropylene package when we're talking about this monomaterial. And the issue really is that as of today, multi-material is still the most prevalent form of packaging in the pet food industry. And unfortunately, that means that most pet food packaging is actually not recyclable. Multi-material you can see in different forms, right? It could be different types of plastic. I think one of the most common ones is, is a polyethylene PET package, but it could also be on the paper side. If they've put a plastic coating in the paper in order to um, either protect the contents or to keep the grease from soaking through the paper, it creates that multi-material and, and it makes it non-recyclable. The reason we've seen these different materials used is every material has different properties, right? And when, when you combine them, they can make really great packaging, but they don't play nicely when you go to recycle them. And this is really due to, you know, different melting points and it makes them difficult to recycle and separate. So any resin you do get from that recycling, it's going to be a pretty low quality the properties of it just aren't suitable for putting it back into a flexible package. And now you have to figure out what to do with all this material, right? And this is where you see people talking about things and, and talking about plastic going to landfills and everything else. And the good news with multi-material packaging is it doesn't 100% have to be garbage. You do have programs out there like TerraCycle who try to collect it and do something with it, but there's really limited end-use applications one that I think people are most familiar with is plastic lumber, right? A lot of that is made through recycled multi-material, recycled milk jugs, things like that, but it's still an end-of-life use. And that's really the key here when we're talking about recycling is if you recycle something and it ultimately ends up being the end of life for this package, you're only doing so much, right? Giving it a second life is great, but if it stops there, that's not far enough. The whole point of recycling is really to create this recycled material that can be incorporated back into new items that can then be recycled. When people are talking about recyclable packaging, we're starting to see more and more discussion around PCR or post-consumer recycled content being incorporated back into this packaging. And this is nothing new on the paper side. They've been doing this a long time. I'm sure everybody's seen when you go to you know, a fast food restaurant or something like that, your napkins are made out of recycled paper. A lot of Cardboard packaging now, you know, has inclusion of recycled content for paper. So they've been there for a while, but this is pretty new on the plastic packaging side, specifically with flexibles. But it's important to call out here as, as we start to see more and more people talking about PCR incorporation, that not all PCR is the same and that the type of PCR you use in your flexible plastic packaging can actually impact its recyclability. So... We are going to talk in a little bit about the progress and the successes, but to be able to set that up properly, I want to talk a little bit more about the stumbling blocks to success right now, because the fact that we're even having this conversation shows that there is a shift in terms of packaging needs in the pet food world because of the responses of consumers in terms of sustainability and eco-friendliness and things like that. Now, traditionally, the main concerns for packaging have been shelf life, food safety, 
and stability, the strength of the packaging. Is it going to be able to get from point A to point B to point C in somebody's pantry and not go haywire at some point at any of those stops? Now we're having to really consider and add in this factor of, okay, eventually we want to make sure that all of these pieces are recyclable as well, which as you've just gotten done saying, there are parts that just aren't right now. And it's because that wasn't the primary concern before, but now it's becoming one. So we've talked a little bit about the stumbling blocks, but let's get a little deeper into it. Are there technology limitations? Are there practical ones when it comes to food safety? Has there been any pushback on new developments that are making things just a little bit harder? What are some of the key challenges right now in trying to make this shift and really trying to optimize the idea of sustainable packaging while obviously still keeping in mind that this food has to stay fresh. It has to get where it's going and it has to be safe at the end of the day. Right. And you're so right in all of that. There's so many of these things are are really big stumbling blocks in making this transition. And what one of the big ones I want to touch on that really affects all industries is that we have to understand there's a critical difference between when we talk about recyclable and when we talk about recycle ready packaging. So when we mention recyclable packaging, this really means that the package can be broken down and used again, and the infrastructure currently exists to do it. A recycle-ready package means it can still be broken down and used again, but there's no infrastructure to handle it. And why this is so important is because as of right now, the only monomaterial flexible plastic packaging that is recyclable in North America is all polyethylene. So you could make an all polypropylene film and it's monomaterial and that's great, but there's no infrastructure in North America to recycle it. So all polyethylene is actually considered recycle ready here. The good news is it's not because it's not technically feasible. We see there's a lot of countries in Europe that do have this infrastructure. They collect all polypropylene films and they recycle them. So it is possible. It's just, unfortunately, that infrastructure does not exist in North America today. And the reason that's so important is because this challenge of lack of recycling infrastructure and low recycling rates really makes it hard for all of this to move forward, right? You kind of find yourself in this chicken or the egg situation where you need money invested in better infrastructure so that you can improve recycling rates, but that money's not going to come in if there's no clear path for the PCR use. Companies have become very weary of using PCR. They know consumers want it, but if there's a lack of supply because recycling rates are low or things aren't being collected, that's difficult for for someone to take on from a supply chain perspective. So you find yourself in this situation of who's going to move first. Are we going to get the infrastructure first or are we going to get the PCR incorporation first? Somebody has to move, but right now we're kind of at a standstill. Some of the things you mentioned that are specific to the pet food industry, right? Pet food is packaged in ways that a lot of other food isn't. You've got box pouches, you've got quad bags, they're large, they hold large quantities. So you have to be able to have packaging that can keep up with that. And um, you need to maintain that freshness. You need to work on extending shelf life. You've got the, you know, possible grease and contamination issue. It's less of an issue with dry food. It's a big problem for wet pet food. And when you're looking at the packaging, you have to think about equipment considerations. Um, Monomaterial doesn't always run as efficiently on equipment as the traditional polyethylene PET bags. 
So that can factor in as well, right? You can't make as much in the same amount of time. From the consumer side, consumers are used to a certain look for pet food packaging. It doesn't mean we can't change it, but it is a hurdle to overcome. They're used to these shiny, stiff bags that really grab your eye. Monomaterial currently can't quite get there. So it's a marketing consideration. And then, of course, anything dealing with food, whether it's human food or pet food, it requires FDA. So when we're talking about PCR, you have to have FDA-approved PCR. And polyethylene PCR that's FDA-approved is extremely hard to come by. PET PCR is much more prevalent in the FDA space, but PET PCR can actually be problematic. If you remember, I mentioned before the type of PCR you use can impact your recyclability. And what we see because the PET PCR is so much more prevalent and it's easier for people to get their hands on, it's actually a little bit easier to incorporate into your packaging as well. If you put PET PCR in your flexible plastic packaging, you've actually rendered it non-recyclable. So you're doing something good, right? You're using that post-consumer recycled content, you're putting it in your package, but your package can no longer be recycled. So it's now hit that end of life situation we were talking about. So the key to PCR incorporation, in order to maintain your recyclability, you have to keep it monomaterial. So like we talked about, the only thing today in North America that the infrastructure exists for is all polyethylene. So if you make an all polyethylene bag, if you don't use polyethylene PCR, your bag is not recyclable. So you have to keep the materials the same, but this is also where it can get really cool because if you have an all polyethylene bag and you put polyethylene PCR into it, you can recycle that bag and it can now get turned into more polyethylene PCR that can then get put back into your all polyethylene bag and you can just kind of keep going. And when we talk about a circular economy for plastics, this is really what we're talking about, right? Trying to get to this point where you can have materials go around and around and around and you don't end up in that end of life situation. The last one I'm going to touch on, and I hate to call it out, but you have to, it's really the elephant in the room, is the cost, right? At the end of the day, it's a business. Everyone's running a business. And so one of the big questions that always comes up around sustainability and recyclable packaging is the cost. And when you look at PCR, today it is currently more expensive than virgin resins. And this is really due to that limited supply and just the cost, right? There's costs of collecting and cleaning and sorting and processing. And we know that consumers really aren't always willing to pay for it. Part of the survey that we did, we actually asked the question, If you were presented with a product that's the same price, one that has PCR content and one does not, which would you choose? Only 19% of people would actively choose the version without PCR content, which is great, right? It shows the consumers are really interested. But when we asked the same question and we said, well, if you're presented with these products, but the one with PCR content is 25% more costly, 67% said they would choose the one without PCR. So two-thirds of people are going to go with the cheaper option, regardless of the environmental impact. Right there is another issue in the industry because consumers want all of the surveys show it and informal questionnaires of people's customers. People want this, but then when you show them the cost, it's a slightly different answer. 
and this happens in a lot of different industries. This isn't unique to pet food, but exactly. Where is a company supposed to know where that line is? The perfect, here's what the consumer wants. Here's what the consumer is willing to pay. And if you had the perfect response for this, we could probably all pack it up and go home. Because I know it's a very complicated question and we haven't figured it out yet, but how much do you internalize as a company what the customer is saying they want versus what you know they're willing to pay for? And when you put that on top of everything else, we need more technology, we need more education, everything has a cost. Where does that leave the industry? It's a really tricky place. It's a fine line because you do, it comes down to who's going to pay for it. There is a cost associated. We can't ignore it. Who's going to pay for it? I do have some good news. When we took that same survey data and we broke it down by age demographics, we found that the 44 and under age group is actually over twice as likely to be willing to pay more for products that have recycled content. And that's fantastic, right? Because these are your up and coming pet owners. These are the people who either have families and want to grab pets, or maybe you're going to have a pet as their family. These are your up-and-coming consumers, and they're saying they're a little bit more willing to pay. Now, the numbers still aren't high, but it's a great trend to see. It definitely is. Let's keep along that same vein. Let's talk about some of the successes now that we have laid out all of the different challenges. What are some of the successes in progress, in technology, and acceptance, and education? What's some of the good news, and where are we really headed in terms of sustainable packaging? The great thing is that we are a lot closer today than we were even three or four years ago. So we are seeing significant progress. There are monomaterial packages on the shelves today. Not just in pet food and human food, we're seeing it become much more prevalent in the industry. And this is really because the entire value chain is starting to recognize that things need to change. You see brands making sustainability pledges. You've got organizations like the Pet Sustainability Coalition really working to bring the industry together and work through these problems. And you don't see just brands, right? You don't see just converters. You see everyone across the table coming together. And that's really what it's going to take for us to solve some of these issues is all of us coming together and figuring out how can we all make this work. And there's a lot of work being done to improve monomaterial packaging. So some of those issues we talked about having to take into consideration where monomaterial might not be as good as some of our more traditional packaging, we're seeing a lot of work being done here. And specific to plastics in the polyethylene space, we're seeing a lot of innovation around high-performance resins. They would give you better properties and processability and allow for easier PCR incorporation. We've also got some work being done in oriented films. This is really kind of considered to be the next generation of all polyethylene. It's going to enhance the film properties, improve the performance, give better machinability. And from the consumer side, it's gonna give you a look and feel that's closer to a more traditional polyethylene PET bag. So you're not scaring the consumer, right? By giving them something brand new, you're really allowing them to kind of keep doing what they're doing, but feel a little bit better about it. And then like we talked about too, you know, you've got the how to recycle program, trying to work on the labeling and education piece. So we really are seeing some improvements and and we're seeing some successes in progress. We still have some work to do, but we're not starting from ground zero. 
Well, I think that is good news and it's good news to wrap up on. Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. I think you've definitely given everyone some great information on sustainable packaging solutions and where we're at and where the industry still needs to go, as well as an excellent preview of your presentation in May. So let's do a little plug. Where can people reach you? Where can they find Nova Chemicals? And where can they find you at Pet Food Forum? At Pet Food Forum, we'll actually have a booth. We will be at booth 1345. So please come by and see us. We'll be presenting on the second day of Pet Food Forum. Please come and join our presentation. We'd love to have you and love to have more questions. Nova Chemicals, you can find us on the web and you can reach out to me directly at nicole.scugan at novachem.com. I'd love the questions. I'd love to be able to talk about this kind of stuff. So I look forward to talking with everyone. And once more, Nicole will be speaking on understanding shifting consumer perceptions and their impact on sustainable pet food packaging innovation as part of the sustainability panel at Pet Food Forum 2022, which is being held May 2nd through 4th in Kansas City, Missouri. You can find more information about Pet Food Forum at PetFoodForumEvents.com, and we really hope to see you there. That's it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on PetFoodIndustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.